0: quick snippet of that uh king con and barbecue show with lonely boy from invisible girl guar with hate love songs off of carnival of chaos and soft Cell. well you're hearing it now too i figure it's good to just talk right over so why don't you stay right here because gray matters are coming up next and i think you need to have yours massaged very well, very thoroughly. Keep it right here on 88.3 WCBNFM Ann Arbor. we're listening to over our remote modem isn't
1: making it any easier. You're right, Captain. Let me uh, change this. We got it on 88.2 FM right now. I'm going to turn it up a little bit.
0: Right. Now we got uh, 88.4. No. So we'll keep going up a little bit more. It's uh, 88.6 now. Same old, same old. All right, turn it down a couple more, and
1: now we got, uh, 88.3. Ah. This music be
0: soothing to this old pirate's ears.
1: You know, Captain, you're right. Maybe
0: we should, uh, give up this life of piratery and, uh, go frolic in the trees amongst the furry creatures. Arrgh. If you'd like to give up a life of piratry, or any other form of antiquated evil, tune in to 88.3 WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. Uh, Neil and Buzz, uh, the President of the United States, is in his office now, and would like to say a few words to you, over. And with on. Hello Neil and Buzz, I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House and as you talk to us from the sea of tranquility,
1: it inspires us to redouble our efforts to bring peace and tranquility to earth. For one priceless moment in the whole history of man, all the people on this earth are truly one.
0: CBN, FM, Ann Arbor, keeping Richard Nixon's vision of peace and global unity alive with sounds and music from all the cultures of all the people all over the world.
1: Uh, like you think the, one, the ones on, the, what do you call it, music in the restaurants or on the elevators? That music is destructive. That music, if we had good music playing for people, it would a happy society on the streets, you know? I feel like uh, my music. Uh, have a new record coming out. I feel like, well, maybe this time they'll hear it.
0: Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley,
1: and I'm Jim Dwyer.
0: And relief. The citizens of Ann Arbor is on the way. Boy, I felt so good last night. I sat on the porch without my shirt for yeah. two hours, maybe three hours, just uh,
1: feeling the cool breeze. Today <laughs> is just about as fine as weather yeah, could be. Yeah. There's no mistake in that.
0: So we're lucky, and of course... Uh, More
1: humidity on the way, though, I think, oh, Thursday, yeah, Friday, yeah. Yeah, summer, it's August. Summer, quote, ain't over,
0: but uh, we've had quite a heat wave this summer, and... Uh, You know, it's interesting, just last week, and and, uh, we always mention these things, but this is a very, very interesting uh, development regarding Greenland. Um, Wait a minute, is this the right thing? No, I I, uh, (laughs) grabbed the wrong clipping. But uh, anyway, the synopsis of this is that basically a uh, a glacier, an iceberg. Uh, this is from the AP, and I heard an update on this on the BBC on Saturday night. An island of ice more than four times the size of Manhattan is drifting across the Arctic Ocean after breaking off from a glacier in Greenland, potentially threatening shipping lines and oil platforms. The iceberg is moving towards the Nares Strait, which separates the North western coast of Greenland and the Ellesmere Island of Canada. If it makes it into the strait before the uh, winter freeze, the iceberg will probably be carried south by ocean currents, hugging Canadian uh, Canada's eastern shore until it enters the waters busy with oil and shipping activities at Newfoundland. Uh, and it notes, by the way, scientists say this ice island is the biggest in the Northern Hemisphere since uh, 1962. Well, a scientist interviewed on BBC's late Saturday night. Uh, BBC has a kind of a special half-hour segment involving science, sort of a weekly wrap-up. They usually do three or four sort of big stories with a lot of focus. Interviewed a a scientist who uh, wrote his name down, but he remember that he works uh, in Colorado, and he's been monitoring the Greenland ice basically since 1979 using fairly sophisticated scientific uh, monitoring devices that are kind of connected to uh, uh, spectrography and, you know, uh, basically he's using infrared sensors, and he has detected basically a decline of ice... uh, melting off Greenland uh, systematically since 1979 of about uh, 25 to 30 percent, as he put it. And uh, to give you an idea, uh, they on BBC they said that this iceberg was basically 250 square kilometers. That is roughly the size of Ann Arbor-Ypsilanti, sort of greater metropolitan area, you know, continuing up into some of the surrounding townships. So that gives you an idea of how big this uh, piece of ice is. And of course, needless to say, if it doesn't freeze up over the winter, uh, and even if it uh, melts again next summer, this uh, ice will, of course, slowly melt. And uh, what's important about rising sea level is the fact that uh, it's the ice in Greenland and the ice in Antarctica that are important uh... in that realm of uh... what will happen as these temperatures go up needless to say uh... in sunday's new york times they had a pretty interesting article about weather chaos as it's connected to the situation in pakistan and uh... when you hear the uh, secretary general of the united nations declare that this is the worst natural disaster he's witnessed uh... in his career uh... this uh, disaster has not killed uh, as many people as the tsunami in Indonesia. But the area affected uh, is now being characterized as 25% of Pakistan.
1: Right, and up to 20 million people have been made homeless. Plus, it's important to remember that the monsoon rains are going to go for a couple of weeks. Yet. Yeah,
0: this this ain't over, as the saying goes. Uh, could get worse, and this, of course, could have a major impact on the whole situation with respect to the uh, war in Afghanistan. Well,
1: much of Pakistan's uh, arable land is affected by this, too. So the consequences are long-term. They're saying that with you know aid and rebuilding, it'll take two years for Pakistan to uh, catch back up. But uh, considering that Pakistan has uh, been playing a game of catch-up for decades, uh, the prognosis is not good, especially when you also factor in uh, the... Potential for this uh, water crisis to, you know, raise the risk of war with India. Yeah. India controls that high land. The uh, Indus River is the source of all of Pakistan's water. And it's so heavily used for irrigation purposes, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that it no longer actually makes it to the ocean, that the port at Karachi is simply a mere trickle.
0: Yeah, and, of course, this relates to uh, dam activity uh, and the use of hydroelectric power. There's an interesting um, uh, editorial, basically, in today's New York Times by Stephen... Solomon. uh, Solomon, yeah, uh, author of Water, the Epic Struggle for Wealth, Power, and Civilization, in which he specifically talks about the sort of paradoxical aspect that uh, the title is Drowning Today, Parched Tomorrow which talks uh, specifically about uh, the problem related to the melting of the Himalayas, which, of course, is another thing contributing yep. to rising uh, ocean uh, depths, and the, the the fact that this uh, water basically emanates out of uh, the uh, Jammu-Kashmir state where the rivers uh, emerge. And this, of course, is a part of the globe that is actually... Um, Border conflicts are still unresolved. Uh, China's even involved with this one. Indeed. A a very small uh, area of this uh, is uh, in dispute with China, but needless to say, this has been at the heart of several of the wars uh, involving Pakistan and India, and uh, this, of course, could uh, have serious long-term consequences. It's interesting to note, by the way, that the—we'll give a brain damage award out to the president of Pakistan, Zadari, has been summiting in in Europe while this uh, disaster has been unfolding. And, of course, there have been widespread uh, stories of the fact that the Taliban is able to actually deliver relief supplies more effectively than the Pakistan government. One critic said, people are looking busy, but they're not doing anything. So this has uh, serious consequences. It's interesting that... John Kerry, who's a Senate Foreign Relations chairman, is actually scheduled to go to Pakistan uh, later this week to, quote, evaluate the consequences Mm -hmm. of this uh, catastrophic event that uh, is still unfolding uh, with a note that uh, the United States gives Pakistan about $7.5 billion of non-military aid. So uh, we've talked extensively down here over the years regarding the misuse of this money by the Pakistani government. And, um, boy, there may have to be some serious changes in a lot of things in the region because of this natural disaster.
1: Well, it's uh, a combination of uh, bad luck and ineptitude as far as Zadari is yeah. concerned. I mean, he never really was meant to be the prime minister of Pakistan. He took the place of his wife who was assassinated uh as the head of that party and the long term hope is uh, Pakistani politics are essentially dynastic uh the, the political parties have no real movement beyond the face the the rich mm-hmm. family which uh uh supports that uh position and it's the son of Benazir Bhutto and uh, uh, Zadari that is assumed will assume the mantle of power one day but uh, there may not even be a Pakistan by the time he comes to power. Yeah, and and what's interesting about
0: the situation in Pakistan, of course, is that the the population is at the heart of one of the problems. Um, uh, Pakistan is projected, I think, I read somewhere, to go uh, from 175 million. to 220 million people. Over the next decade. Yeah. Yeah, that's in Solomon's piece. And that is uh, staggering stuff uh, to consider uh, in connection with this whole situation. Um, The front page, a front page article in the the New York Times on Sunday, of course, noted about the chaotic weather and the fact that, uh, well, Jay uh, Lorimar of... uh, climate analysis at the National Climactic Data Center in Asheville, North Carolina, said that extreme events are occurring with greater frequency and in many cases with greater intensity. So they talk more about the uh, more frequent events in which there's greater rainfall, greater snowfall, ironically, which can uh, convince people that there's no uh, climate change occurring, as we saw last uh, winter with some of the storms that... uh, battered the East Coast. and How large... can there
1: be global warming when it's snowing in D.C.?
0: That's right. Well, there's supposed to be snow in D.C. from time to time, and sometimes those snow events are actually connected to the humid Gulf air that gets caught up in the, uh, in the jet stream, so to speak, uh, that have also considerably altered over the last 50 years. Uh, this is well documented that uh, the jet stream has more of a dip in its uh, pattern in North America. So yes, hotter weather in the summer, shorter winters, but more extreme p- precipitation events with uh, the paradoxical thing of drier areas getting drier and wetter areas getting wetter. And we've seen some of that this summer uh, uh, here in the eastern United States with these uh, unbelievable thunderstorms that we've had. And, of course, there's been some flooding here, and needless to say, there's been catastrophic flooding in China as well, connected to these monsoons. There's been several thousand people killed in China as well, with the villages getting wiped out uh, as uh, things uh, erupt. And we saw an interesting event in Iowa about three weeks ago in which a, a dam broke, and a lake community in rural Iowa Basically lost all, they lost their lake because the dam broke and all the water that was keeping mm. the water in the sort of uh, residential lake, you know, community, all the boats are uh, in the sand, in the silt, in the muckety muck with, uh, well, where do they get the water? So it's an ironic that there would be a lake that's drained uh, in the uh, midst of a catastrophic rain event that's causing flooding elsewhere. Very interesting and stuff. And, of
1: course, as we've seen inklings or gestures and movements towards this in the past, uh, unfortunately we can expect to see more of this in the future when uh, western and southern states begin to eyeball the Great Lakes as though it were a water bottle in the refrigerator that, hey, can we have a drink? Exactly. And... uh now there is a, a bit more uh, organization in place. The Great Lakes states have regular meetings. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more uh, attention to the need to protect this as a vastly important resource, a uh, grossly underappreciated uh, resource that the lakes uh, represent.
0: Yeah, and uh, long-term thinking needs to be uh, applied here. And it was announced today that Bill Gates, uh, Secretary of Defense, is going to... Uh, plans on retiring sometime next year. I would suspect that this is in uh, connection with the Pakistan-Afghanistan military review that's going to occur Mm -hmm. in December, and uh, he basically is an old-timer that wants to uh, retire. Uh, He's been in Washington for many, many years, Uh, most famously involved in the Iran-Contra affair as a uh, toady for Bill Gates, or Bill Gates... uh, (laughs) Getting my bills Bill here. Casey. Bill Casey. Bill crazy, Gates. Crazy is,
1: Bill Casey. Yes.
0: A man with marbles in his mouth. And, and uh, I
1: think I feel a tumor conveniently yes.
0: coming on. Conveniently coming on is uh, <clears throat> we have to come up with a diversion uh, fall guy plan to protect the king, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> so uh, Gates, of course, has been a long time sort of bipartisan infighter in the bureaucracy. So mm-hmm. it's One need not get confused here about who he is or what he represents. He, of course, later uh, became director of the CIA uh, in his own right uh, since he'd been the assistant and was able to, shall we say, paper over his involvement in the Iran-Contra affair uh, to, uh, I guess, adequate effect so that he was confirmed.
1: Well... uh, you mentioned the uh, lack of planning here and this is something that we've uh, talked about in the past the lack of uh, really sane or sound energy policy in this country's history a uh, recent uh, harper's index this comes from the uh, september issue which is out to subscribers annual or excuse me average annual government expenditure since 2005 on military research and development 77 trillion. Average expenditures on energy research and development, 5 billion. Mm. Well, there you go. There you go. That's a problem. Uh, that's a real serious problem, and it's a short sightedness that uh, we are now, uh, it's too late to, to get ahead of the curve. To get ahead of the curve, and
0: what's, of course, troubling is that other nations have been uh, rapidly galloping in front of us as we continue our myopic, uh, I don't know, just sort of over misplaced priorities. You know, Mm -hmm. I heard an interesting uh, Jesse Jackson apparently is going to be in the area uh, sometime this week uh, to have a march regarding the misplaced priorities of uh, our uh, government spending. It's not so much that it's not a question of whether government should be spending money. It's where it spends money and at what quantities. And when you hear, for instance, uh, Robert Gates, who just last week announced the uh, Pentagon cuts that I actually praised yeah. Robert Gates for, you immediately saw the backlash the next day. The uh, Congress people that were going to be affected by uh, th- these closings um, and these quote-unquote budget cuts, started howling uh, that this is uh, going to damage our national defense. And uh, there's simply no evidence of that. (laughs) There's too much money spent on national defense. And these energy policies are amazingly connected to uh, lots of scary things. Um, Obama has... uh, I think Wisely used August uh, this this year to be in campaign mode. He's been sort of combining vacation activity with uh-huh. campaign mode, and he's been a little more aggressive attacking um, the Republicans who think they're going to make huge gains in uh, congressional elections that are upcoming uh, here in November. I would say that last week's primary results— um, continue to show that that there is a mixed message coming from various primaries. And when you have, for instance, a tea party, tea bag party candidate winning the Republican nomination for the U.S. Senate in Colorado, I think his name is Ken Buck, he wants to buck the trend, but uh, I suspect he'll be a loser. Um, some of these western states, by the way, is where you want to really keep your eye on, you know, the new developments, because uh, I would argue that the red states that the Republicans have con- uh, traditionally controlled uh, in the sort of this, the uh, the farm belt uh, slash mountain energy belt into the Confederacy are probably going to get redder. But the Western states have really been up for grabs mm. uh, in the last several uh, election cycles, and this is where the Democrats have made gains. So if the Republicans do not make gains in these states where they now have two confirmed teabag candidates, uh, Nevada and Colorado, they're probably not going to make too many gains, period. Um, And, of course, Rand Paul in Kentucky, another favorite of the teabag folks, is uh, losing traction as he's made a couple of very unfortunate statements regarding his knowledge of public affairs and world events and whatnot. Son of Ron Paul, by the way. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was encouraging, by the way, to hear Ron Paul and Barney Frank over a month ago come out with a uh, editorial that I think might have appeared in the Financial Times, but it certainly got media coverage where they're advocating America to pull back uh, from military bases that we have scattered around the mm-hmm. globe where our security uh, needs are not uh, at stake. You know, a good example is just, for instance, over the weekend, the prime minister of South Korea, while we hear always, uh, I always call North Korea the mouse that roars,
1: because
0: it is a mouse,
1: but uh, it gets... Daffy Duck as president.
0: Well, Daffy Duck as president. Um, I don't know if I know the name of that mouse in the... uh, Well, I guess it's, it's, what, Tom and Jerry. Yeah, yeah. But I was thinking of the other cartoon. Itchy and scratchy. (laughs) getting my Looney uh, Tunes uh, characters mixed up here. Uh, Tom and Jerry, anyway, um, they're the mouse that roared. But anyway, the prime minister of South Korea actually openly, once again, is advocating reunification. He sees this as the solution to the North Korea problem.
1: Well, serious steps were made towards that uh, in the last year and a half of the Clinton second term. Yeah. And, uh, no energy or effort was put into it whatsoever by W's foreign policy crew. No,
0: and in fact, they became more publicly hawkish on North mm-hmm. Korea, and in fact, George Bush threw North Korea into the uh, Axis of Evil speech that bore the uh, incoherence of the domino theory. Yeah. <laughs> the Axis of Evil. North Korea, Iraq, Iran. Therefore, we...
1: Treacheries. As Cubed.
0: if they somehow... <laughs> meet together when they have completely uh, disparate, you know, interests. And, in fact, you know, what's emerged regarding North Korea's nuclear plan is that it was basically Pakistan
1: that gave them the info. Oh, that's right there, our friends. Yes, we
0: tilted towards Pakistan and the famous foreign policy brilliance of Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger back in the uh, early 70s. How interesting that Jack Anderson was the one that broke the story regarding the yeah. policy shift. And then he promptly saw himself on an enemy's list with wiretapping and uh, strange people looking through his trash. <laughs>
1: looking for the evidence. Looking for clues. Well, there's actually an interesting article speaking of Nixon. who's inescapable on this program. We love to talk about Nixon whenever we can by John Weiner. Weiner, Weiner. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure how to pronounce that. Uh, in uh, a recent August 16th through 23rd issue of the Nation magazine, Change Comes to Nixon land. I don't know if you saw that article, but uh, it's about the efforts by uh, Timothy Naftali, who's been uh, named the library director when the National Archives took over management of the Nixon Library of Yorba Linda, California, uh, about the attempts to... Uh, put in an accurate and informative Watergate display. It's been sort of deferred by the uh Nixon Foundation, which is a privately run institute who recently had a big get-together at the Nixon Library and uh this Watergate display will eventually take its place there, but it didn't make it in time for this anniversary of the Nixon um party. <laughs> Yeah, but interestingly, uh, Weiner goes on to note in this article that, uh, you know, all the old tropes about, oh, uh, Watergate was simply a, a third-rate third rate burglary, burglary yes. right, that had been exploited by the president's armies to, uh, enemies to bring him down. Uh, but interestingly, in speaker after speaker who got up to defend the Nixon legacy and one of the themes of the reunion was, how will Nixon be remembered? Um Uh, Weiner writes, surprisingly, the emphasis here on the part of the speakers was on the liberal side of Nixon's record. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, the uh, Environmental Protection Act, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, um, public broadcasting. Um, And uh, Nixon apparently was uh, the first president to promote and uh, establish women in positions of power in greater numbers than had been done before. And so these are the things that Nixon supporters now look to and point out as, see Nixon really was a great guy. You know, at one point, uh, Ron Walker, who heads the Nixon Foundation, said that uh, they'll be talking about Nixon going to China in a thousand years. Everybody knows about that. Well, I'm not quite sure that uh, that will be. Uh, that anybody will talk about Nixon in a thousand years outside of uh, Futurama.
0: You know. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the episodes of Futurama keep his legacy uh, alive in its proper shade. But uh, how interesting that uh, the best things they can point back to in the Nixon years are things that the Tea Party would find you know unacceptable yeah anathema and and the thing that
0: of course some of that environmental legacy uh was actually connected to the urgency that congress saw when for instance the santa barbara oil spill occurred
1: well when, the river fire in cuyahoga When
0: the cuyahoga river caught on fire uh just a week ago i was admiring a time life um uh, retrospective. Oh, that 1969-70 yeah. book? Yeah, I, that because, was quite interesting. You know, Iggy Pop, of course, is from uh, the area, one of Ann Arbor's more famous uh, bands. I, I guess Bob Seger is the only one that you could call more famous. But the Stooges, of course, had that legendary 1969-okay yeah. <laughs> all across the USA. So, yeah, there is something about 69 because that was the start of uh, the Nixon presidency, uh if not the legacy. <laughs> and uh yes, the the Clean Air Act, of course, um and even Earth Day was created during the Nixon years. Yep. Gaylord Nelson, Senator from Wisconsin, passed the legislation. Uh Nixon did acquiesce on some of uh this sensible regulation. And here here. Here's to Nixon. <laughs> You won't hear me toast toast him very often. But of course, previous to this time, Nixon's legacy has always been in the area of foreign policy.
1: Right. And of course, the opening to China, I think, was a. uh,
0: I've always called
1: it a a positive thing for sure, but a historical inevitability.
0: Historical inevitability. Uh, It's interesting that I.F. Stone, even in his uh, weekly newsletter, just because I read something about him recently, uh, declared it as the most earth shattering. Foreign policy events since the Non-Aggression Pact of uh, 1939, which of course was a um, treaty signed by, uh, by Germany and Russia, that uh,
1: on the eve of World War on II, the eve right? of
0: World War II, that pretty much allowed uh, Hitler to go into Poland when he started getting a little bit too close to Russia. Russia then invaded Poland from the other direction, and we know the results—horrible uh, stuff. But Nixon's uh, foreign policy legacy, of course, is complex. But when you throw in secret wars in Cambodia, uh, invasions of Cambodia.
1: The support of the Shah of Iran in the face of all sorts of horrible abuses. Yeah,
0: the move towards the Shah as part of the Cold War. We already mentioned the tilt towards Pakistan, which was more a result not of some sort of Deep strategic thinking by uh, Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon, but more of a anti-Indira Gandhi Mm -hmm. activity. She was involved in the Non-Aligned Movement, right, along with many other important countries, including Indonesia, Egypt, um, India, and Yugoslavia. Uh, And during the 1950s. when uh, the Dulles brothers were essentially running foreign policy, while I, uh, while Ike uh, golfed quite a bit, and Ike was a basically a good guy, but. Uh-